1: Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
0: The following is a presentation of Radio.com Sports. Radio.com Sports presents Big Time Baseball. Fly ball and back in the deep right center field. Lorenzo King. you covered with the best in the business. Deep down the left field line, it's gone! Manny Machado breaks it open with a three-run shot. With veteran play-by-play voice Josh Lewin. A slam! Ballgame! An MLB insider, John Heyman. His numbers
2: would look so much better if there weren't guys compiling 600
0: home runs. Each week, will feature a comprehensive look at Major League Baseball, the biggest stories, and a breakdown of the divisions leading up to the 2019 championship race. And Harper to center, way back. See you later! It's all right here on Radio.com Sports Big Time Baseball. Brought to you by the 2019
4: Mercedes-Benz A-Class. Radio.com Sports presents Big Time Baseball. It's brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class, along with highly respected baseball insider John Heyman. I'm Josh Lewin. John's been covering Major League Baseball since the 80s, back when Tom (laughs) Hanks was doing comedy and Alec Baldwin was doing drama. That's how far back that goes. Uh, It's a long time. I'm kind of right right there with John. I I started my career around the same time. Uh, I'm more in the broadcast mode uh, John's in the writing mode, but here we are kind of dovetailing all that into a podcast for you. And each week we will be bringing you insight into the top stories. All across Major League Baseball, get your rundown of the happenings in each division. Joe Girardi is going to join us later in the program. Tony Gwynn Jr. will join us as well. Big Time Baseball, a part of Radio.com, which allows you to get your favorite radio stations free of charge. Anytime, anywhere, listen to over 300 stations and over 1,100 podcasts. You can explore by location or genre to find music, news, sports from your own location or across the country. I want to jump right in, John. There's so much cool stuff going on. In the AL East, and I guess when you look at your standings page, that's usually the one that comes up first anyway, but Vladimir Guerrero Jr. kind of cannonballed into the pool, right? I mean, the the, the Blue Jays needing some interest, some life, Uh, Maple Leafs, another devastating loss in the playoffs, they're gone, so uh, here comes Vlad Jr., and there was a lot of pomp and circumstance, wasn't there?
2: I like your versatility. Maple Leaf's very good. Yes. I mean, uh, number one prospect in baseball, and rightfully so. Guy hit 380 last year, had a 636 slugging percentage. The guy is a hitting savant and only 20 years old, and obviously he has the name and the genes to do it. Uh, the scouts tell you that... Uh, He hits like his father, Vladimir Guerrero Sr., but has better plate discipline, and that is scary, because Vladimir Guerrero, a Hall of Famer, rightfully so, should have been a first ballot Hall of Famer, a little editorializing there. I think we missed the boat on that one, but he is in the Hall, which is what counts, and the scouts will tell you that Vladimir Guerrero Jr., uh, could be headed that way too, and uh, certainly has uh, lit a spark under the Blue Jays, where a lot of good things are happening. They've won three in a row since he got there.
4: There's something really cool in there about that expectation debut. I, I always think of that old Bugs Bunny cartoon where he's a conductor. Uh, what is it, Leopold? And and all the patrons are saying Leopold, Leopold, Leopold <laughs> as he walks through. You know, they they can't believe this great conductors in their in their midst, in their presence, and. When Jason Hayward started the season in 2010, I think there was that kind of buzz. And, and when Strasburg made his debut later that summer, uh, maybe Yasiel Puig in June of 13, right? I mean, or, or Otani, right, in, in, in 2018. It's just cool when there's that kind of buzz that circulates even before a guy gets in the
2: room. Yeah, I, I think Strasburg is a good one. There was a, a big anticipation, certainly the case here with uh, Vled Jr., And a part of it was the buildup and the belief on the part of some people that he was ready earlier. Certainly was from a hitting standpoint. Toronto will tell you that they would like to have seen some more evidence of durability. And he is only 20 years old still, so uh, that'll be something to be debated later. But the anticipation was huge. I saw on TV some people comparing it to Mike Trout's. Ascension, But to me, this was even greater. We didn't know Mike Trout was going to be Mike Trout when he was called up. He was a top prospect or one of the top two or three prospects. Uh, But in this case, this was clearly the guy. And looking at those numbers in the minor leagues, I mean, not even Mike Trout uh, hit 380 for a year or had 636 slugging like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. So the anticipation was huge. The whole country of Canada was on board. Drake was excited, and uh, understandably so, because this is a... A huge, huge talent.
4: Living it up in the six right now. These Toronto people are very happy. Now, I, I want to jump us over to the AL Central. Let's just kind of go around the divisions here off the top. Minnesota, and I know you and I both thought they were good. Not great, but good. Uh, I mean, Eddie Rosario is top five in the major leagues in home runs as of this taping of the podcast. I, I did not see that coming. Uh, I Again, twins, we, we knew they'd be decent, but... This is kind of insane right now, what they're doing.
2: Yeah, I like them in that division. I'm proud to say I did pick them. My predictions are so bad that when I get one right, and, of course, we're only 25 games in, so we don't know how right it is. Uh, yeah, but you got to circle good. it like a neon. <laughs> exactly. So uh, we're only a few weeks in, uh, about four weeks in. So uh, it's not over yet. But uh, there were people who were telling me, you know what, uh, look at that picture. Uh, Minnesota Twins rotation and even their top starter would would be maybe the number five starter in Cleveland But I looked at the whole roster and the twins have a terrific lineup And if you went down to Fort Myers for spring training and saw the twins I know a lot of people go to Fort Myers to see the Red Sox But the twins are pretty popular in spring training, too And uh, they really raked in spring training and uh, understandably so they they have a terrific lineup Uh, deeper than it's been adding Cruz is a big plus and uh, I I think that uh, they have one of the better lineups in baseball I think their pitching is good enough I know it's not like Cleveland starting pitching but uh, Gibson's a solid starter Odorisi solid and and Barrios is excellent so you look at the run differential you look at the offense uh, I kind of like the twins then and I still kind of like the twins now
4: well you, you mentioned Cleveland and the one sticking point I've got with them is don't they need a right hand power bat somewhere in that lineup. I know Albert Bell doesn't live there anymore, and Manny Ramirez doesn't live there, and Matt Williams. And they tried Hanley Ramirez, kind of a a failed comeback, but, you know, at least they gave that a shot. They've got hitters. It just seems like they're all switch hitters or lefties. And it's just weird to see an Indians team that doesn't have that masher right-hand hitter because it seems like they always have that.
2: Yeah, they're always good from the front office perspective in terms of the platoons and having righty and lefty. Uh, and they, they've been very good at that. I just think they need to have a deeper lineup. Uh, it's too reliant on for me, and Lindor has just come back, but Lindor and Ramirez, and uh, it seems to be two big stars and then some others, and Ramirez has not been great since the beginning of September. He was fantastic for the first five, six months last year, but he's dropped off a bit, and uh, I think they just need uh, more. They need more good hitters, whether they're righty or lefty. And, and a deeper lineup. And uh, you know their starting pitching is excellent on paper, hasn't been quite as good uh, on the field uh, Clevenger's Clevingers at an injury. I mean, Bauer has been terrific, uh, good on Twitter as well. But uh, to me, the Cleveland has taken a step back. Uh, we thought that this winter and I think it's coming to fruition now.
4: I'm glad you mentioned the social media game of Bauer because one of his targets from a few days ago is also really good on Twitter, Alex Bregman. Uh, was on the receiving end of a little bit of... Well, you know, uh, let's face it, John. In the old days, this just would have been on-field gamesmanship, right? I mean, it would have been two guys hollering across the field at each other, and that happens all the time. But now we're in a society, we're at a time in this universe where this stuff plays out a little differently, right? I mean, it plays out on these social media platforms. So you and I... Uh, As people who are not in our 20s or 30s, we're a little north of that. I'm just curious where you (laughs) sit when when you look at something like Bauer versus Bregman on Twitter.
2: Well, I'm on Twitter, too, and I follow Twitter, and uh, Bauer is very interesting on Twitter. He's not afraid of a controversy. He's not afraid of even a feud. And uh, the guy has gone to arbitration twice in a row. I think he knows he's never going to be friends with anybody with Houston (laughs) Uh, he and Garrett Cole had that uh, rivalry, shall we say, at UCLA, where they were the top two pitchers for incredible rotation of uh, in college, and uh, they weren't friendly then, and they're not going to be friendly now, and I think word's gotten throughout the Houston locker room that uh, uh, Bauer is not their cup of tea, and so, you know, he, he, he took a little jab at him, did a little trash-talking, uh, got that uh, Bregman uh, do- bobblehead doll, and... Uh, Put words in his mouth about how he dominated Bregman, right, right. and uh, it was it was I thought it was in fun, so it doesn't bother me. Of course, I'm not Bregman. I thought Bregman took it well. Uh, he's good playing along. Uh, I I I give him credit, and uh, you know I think it's interesting that Bauer is willing to to jab at Houston. though. Houston is the team that eliminated them. Houston is a team that won the World Series a couple of years ago. Uh, so uh, you know, from that perspective, Houston's always got an answer for Cleveland.
4: Braggman being taken on by Bragman is what that exactly. Comes down very to, good. Thank you. Thank you very little. Uh, <laughs> kind of keeping it in the the realm of newfound controversy. I want to jump to the NL East because Reese Hoskins, the last guy I thought would be in the middle of something. I mean, I, I thought if we were going to introduce controversy in Philadelphia, obviously we're talking about Bryce Harper having done something, but. Reese Hoskins hit a home run last week in New York, and they say it was a 34.2-second home run trot. He'd been uh, maybe thrown at, maybe not, the night before by Jacob Raim, who has since been suspended and even sent down. But we're told it broke the StatCast record of longest romp around the bases on a home <laughs> run nobody had ever done 30 e- even bartolo yeah was that's like, what i was thinking <laughs> no bartolo was like he he roared around the bases he was like 30 and a half seconds hostess wow. was 34 seconds plus so uh you know and david ortiz they say was usually around 28 to 31 but 34.1 seconds that's an eternity and i'm just again you know we're, we're not here to play fun police at all but where does that go? Because the Phillies and the Mets play each other 19 times a year, and that's maybe sowing some seeds of discontent.
2: Yeah, I'm not a fun police kind of guy anyway. I, to me, I like it when they're having fun, and if he enjoyed his 34 seconds, and I was every second of that, I was watching that game, <laughs> and I understand why he did it. I mean, obviously MLB felt that rain kind of threw a little bit too far inside as well, maybe had some intent to it. So uh, they were with Hoskins there. And so I see nothing wrong with it. I think uh, Philly's off to a decent start and uh, they're uh, doing well. And I think uh, they've got a lot of personality. It's not just Harper. It's Arietta who can speak his mind, who came out and said he didn't appreciate Harper being thrown out. So uh, they've got some honest guys. They've got some fun guys. And, uh, they've got uh, a lot going on right now in Philly, and I like it.
4: So staying in that division, Washington, which is still a super intriguing team, even without Bryce Harper, uh, Anthony Rendon has got to be a cornerstone piece for them, though, right? And and my question to you, since you've got your finger on the pulse of, of things like impending free agency, Are are they going to figure out a way to keep Rendon?
2: Yeah, I thought for sure that they would. And I'm not positive right now. Um, You know, maybe they will uh, quickly. You never know how these things go. But uh, uh, the last I'd heard is they were still pretty far apart in negotiations. I don't know whether the dynamic has changed. uh, Now that Ted Lerner isn't really running the team and you have Mark Lerner and the board, maybe they're a little bit more cognizant about staying under the threshold and maybe towing the line to some degree on the payroll uh, Ted Lerner, uh, thought to be the richest owner in baseball, uh, over 90 years old, um, kind of threw caution to the wind, used a the cliche there when it came to the payroll. Uh, they were one of two teams over the threshold last year. They're very close to it now, thanks to some of the things that he did. Uh, certainly had the emphasis on winning, and I think that was uh, terrific, but uh you know, at this point, uh, it is possible that they will not get Rendon done. You you think so? They have that longstanding relationship with the agent, Scott Boris, and they've got a lot of deals done with him. They obviously didn't get the big one, the Bryce Harper deal done, but they had Robles and Soto in the outfield, so it's a little more understandable from a positional standpoint. Rendon, tough man to replace, but I think right now there's a little bit of difficulty, and part of it stems from, as we discussed last week to some degree, Uh, that Arenado deal, which was a very good one, seven-year extension for $234 million. And Arenado may have a bigger rep, maybe a little better defensively. I mean, he's probably better defensively than anybody, except maybe Machado and Brooks Robinson. But uh, if you look at their war numbers, you look at their offensive production over the last two, three years, uh, they're pretty comparable. And Rendon is slightly ahead on some of those offensive numbers. So uh, that kind of gives you a comp, and that probably shows you why there's some difficulty here. The... Assumption is the Nats probably don't want to go past Arenado for Rendon, and uh, you know the 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 possibility is that Rendon and his camp is probably looking at that and saying, you know what, we're just as good from an offensive standpoint. We should be there and get some kind something close to that, if not exactly that. And uh, you know sometimes those comps help and sometimes they hinder. In this case, it may be hindering.
4: That's John Heyman's voice. This one is that of Josh Lewin. This is Big Time Baseball, presented by Radio.com Sports. Let's keep it uh, National League here. And let me ask you about the Cardinals over in the Central here, John. They seem to be quite legit in what everybody thinks is going to be a three, maybe a four-team race in that division. The the Cardinals, it's been a little bit weird. They've allowed, I think it was in the first three weeks of the year, they gave up home runs to four different pitchers, (laughs) which, you know, you're really not supposed to do. But then, you know, but Goldschmidt is doing his thing. You've got Ozuna doing weird Spider-Man crawls up and down walls. I mean, it's been a, a fascinating month for St. Louis. How are they looking to you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm impressed by the Cardinals uh, to this point. It's been an intriguing division. Uh, I could see picking any one of three teams. Pittsburgh had gotten off to a hot start and has certainly cooled off considerably since then. Uh, you know, I was beating my chest a week ago or two weeks ago with Milwaukee looking like the best team. And that offense is fantastic. And Yellick's repeating what he did as an MVP and all that. Uh, so I kind of like Milwaukee, but uh, St. Louis is awfully good. And the Cubs are coming on now, too, after somewhat of a slow start and some questions about their spending and their bullpen. Um, you know, where do you, where do you stand on that? that to me, that's like a, a three-way pick-em, I think, in that division. And I, I picked Milwaukee. I don't know. Who, who did you like?
4: Yeah, I you know I liked everybody except the Reds, and then I would stop myself and say, well, wait a minute, the Reds were loading up to contend this year. You know, they did bring in the the Dodgers guys, and you know their pitching's been a little bit better. But then I remember that they've just got too too much of a a, a thing to put together here. Those other teams are just so far out in front in terms of what they've already patched in there. So yeah, I'll put Pittsburgh still in your big three. I I'll make it like a, a big three and a half to see where that goes. And that and that gets me to the NL West, strangely, because again, here's a division where you would think it's the Dodgers and the Rockies, and that's it. But then you go, well, wait a minute. The Padres are starting to do some things, and we're going to talk to Tony Gwynn Jr. later in the podcast about that. The Giants not expected to do much this year. They finally got a run in the first inning the other day. That was huge. <laughs> but do, do they keep a guy like Madison Bumgarner?
2: You hear all that speculation about how Madison Bumgarner is definitely going to be traded. And there have been rumors, Milwaukee and Philly, the Atlanta, Yankees, and all sorts of rumors. But uh, some GMs are starting to doubt that they will actually trade Madison Bumgarner. They've historically been a team that's held on to its heroes. Some might say too long. I, I don't know. I'm, it's hard to know on that one. to me, Bumgarner is still an effective pitcher. Uh, still's got some years still has some years left in him so it'll be interesting to see and I, I think he will have a great value at the break because uh, his value is in that postseason so for contenders and there'll be obviously uh, several of those and they all should be interested in Madison Baumgarner because there's been no better postseason pitcher than him so I think his value is high but I've had some GMs tell me that his legacy value is even higher and these are not GMs with the Giants these are people looking at on the outside right. looking in and saying they're not going to get what his legacy value is and they don't think that he ultimately will be traded. I mean, that surprised me because uh, to me, it makes sense. To me, his value is going to be high and there are a lot of teams that need a great pitcher and particularly a left-hander. So, I still think there's a good chance he'd be traded, but I, I'm being told that uh, some people think he's going to stay in San Francisco at least till the end of the year.
4: Hey, John, real quick before we leave the NL West, we got Joe Girardi on the line. I want to bring him in. But the Diamondbacks off to a decent enough start. Could they be sellers, though? I mean, they've got Robbie Ray. They've got Zach Greinke, who's got a huge contract, obviously. Uh, Peralta's a heck of a player.
2: Yeah, that's going to be an interesting debate uh, come selling time. I, I think that Arizona felt, although they didn't say it as – as obviously as Seattle, that they were going to take a step back this year. Uh, They lost uh, some key players, as we uh, we know. Corbin, uh, one of their best pitchers, uh, gone via free agency. And Pollock, uh, a great outfielder, gone via free agency. And uh, talking to Arizona people, they felt they were going to surprise some people and be better than people thought. And to this point, they certainly are doing that, and that could put things in a quandary for them. I think... Uh, they're a very smart team, and uh, they go about things in the right way. And I think that intellectually, they, they probably realize the best thing to do is to sell at the deadline. And they've got some pieces that people are going to be interested in. Obviously, they have, might have to pay down some of the 80 million that's expected to be left on Granky by mid-year. But you've got Robbie Ray, you've got Peralta, you've got some veterans, you've got Ahmed. You've got Adam Jones, potentially, looks good for them. Dyson has looked very good. So they have some interesting pieces. Uh, I think they're going to have a debate. Sometimes it's hard for the ownership to give up some of these players that he's put his heart and soul into. But I think uh, even though they're off to a good start, I still think there's a decent chance the diamondbacks are going to end up being sellers
4: all right that's john Heyman. i'm josh lewin joe girardi is swinging a bat on deck we'll get to him in just a moment big time baseball presented by radio.com sports
0: he's a four-time world series champion including his latest as the yankees manager in 2009 here comes joe girardi it's joe girardi on radio.com sports big
4: time baseball Radio.com Sports presenting big-time baseball. It's brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. With John Heyman, I'm Josh Lewin. Let's bring in the former manager of the Yankees, and don't forget the Marlins, too. Uh, now a valued member of this Radio.com Sports team, the great Joe Girardi. Take some time. And, and first of all, Joe, if you don't mind, I would like to start with, with the Yankees. I, I keep wanting to call them your Yankees, and, and forgive me for that. It just you know I still see you in those pinstripes. But CC Sabathia... With the 3,000 strikeouts on approach, and uh, just kind of locks in his status as a future Hall of Famer. Obviously, I think it's an underappreciated career in some respects. But you know, now there's only 17 guys on the list of 3,000 strikeouts. Very, very cool thing to note. And I'm just curious that the time you spent around C.C. What you can can tell us about him?
5: Well, I, I think his greatest asset as a pitcher is his competitive edge that he has, and how hard he fights. And I think he's got such a big heart on the mound, and he's, he's going to figure it out. You know, he had to change his style of pitching, and he figured it out, and has been very successful since he did that the last, you know, two or three years, and uh, just a joy to manage. Um, great in the clubhouse, great to his teammates, and just a fierce competitor.
2: Hey, Joe, uh, John Heyman here as a colleague at MLB Network, and before that, covering you with the Yankees as a player, as a broadcaster, and as, certainly as a manager I know nobody follows the game more closely than you. So uh, having seen now about uh, three weeks of play, three, four weeks of play, uh, what, what, what teams, uh, team or teams, have really surprised you to this point? I mean, obviously Seattle jumped out early and was a clear surprise, and maybe they still are. But is, is there any one team or a couple teams that have really surprised you to this point?
5: Um, I've been surprised at, like, how Toronto's done. You know, considering all that they lost offensively over the last couple of years, um, they've done a really good job. Um, Detroit has played okay, which somewhat surprised me. Um, not surprised by Minnesota. I, I thought they were going to be really good with the additions that they made, and I think they're even going to continue to get better. Um, the-, the Padres ha- have played okay, too, as well. Um but I think you're starting to start to see the teams that we thought were going to be on top coming to the top, and I think that will continue.
4: Going back, Joe, to what you were just talking about with Sabathia a moment ago, I'm I'm covering the Red Sox this year, and I'm looking at Chris Sale and his obviously very sluggish start. It's incredible. the The Red Sox basically are a, a 500 team when Sale doesn't start, and when he does, they haven't won a freaking game the, the entire year. So. There are some people that are starting to say, okay, if this is the new normal for sale, if he's not throwing 96, 97, and who knows, maybe he will ramp it up when the weather gets warm and he'll he'll hit it again. But he's not at a point in his career yet where he's got to do the reinventing, is he? I mean, I don't mean like Jamie Moyer or Frank Tanana reinventing, but I mean, does he have to to adjust things or is he going to be okay?
5: No, I think he's going to have to adjust things because he doesn't have that in the tank to go to it when he needs a strikeout. And I think when you lose velocity like he has, you've probably lost a little arm speed and the slider's not quite as, as sharp and the changeup is not quite as effective because there's not such a big discrepancy. So I think location is going to become more and more important. And he might have to add something. You know, he might have to sink his fastball a little bit more or try to or add a cutter just to, to give people a different look.
2: Hey, Joe, uh, you've been in the game uh, 30 years and, as a manager, uh, 11 years, and so you've seen a lot of changes, uh, clearly, uh, in that time. I'm just wondering what your overall thought is, and if you want to talk about the Yankees at all, you can. I don't want to necessarily pry on that, but uh, the difference is, at one point, the manager was uh, considered the face of the franchise and sometimes the star of the franchise, and sometimes uh, the manager is now seen as, as middle management, and there certainly is depending on the organization, more front office control and more emphasis on numbers. And I know you're a fairly, very cerebral guy. I shouldn't say fairly, very cerebral guy being Northwestern like the two of us. But uh, what do you think about all these changes? Is this uh, good, bad, or are you indifferent? uh, Some good, some bad.
5: No, I think the numbers have always been very important. I think we're able to quantify a lot more things with the numbers, and I think you're you're able to make some better decisions based on numbers. But, you know, I can go back to when I caught in the late 90s. I mean, we relied on numbers all the time and how to get hitters out. It's just become a little bit more sophisticated. The bottom line, though, is still there's there's an emotion in the player that, you know, that's what the managers have to manage the most. Um, numbers have been presented to us for a long time. And I also think the numbers have helped in evaluating players and maybe finding some diamonds in the rough. Um, like a Luke Voigt. I mean, the Yankees have found something where, you know, the Cardinals, he was there um, and wasn't really getting much of a chance. And now he has been a huge part of the offense. So I think the numbers can tell you that. And I think it's good information for the players. I think you have to be careful how much you give to every player because some players want more and some want less and you don't want to paralyze them with their numbers. You don't want them, you know, you still want them to be able to react and not overthink things.
4: You know, and I don't mean to take it right back from Yankees to Red Sox, swinging this like a pendulum again, but what you're talking about, Joe, reminds me. But you're doing that. that. But I (laughs) am going to do it anyway, because what what the hell? When we look at, and, and sales to me is such a great example of this. This is a guy who never I mean never shakes off a catcher I mean it just doesn't happen I mean if you put down seven fingers you would just be like all right you know I mean whatever you say that's what I'm doing in your experience as a catcher not even so much as a manager how rare is it that a guy whoever the catcher is just basically nods shrugs says yep whatever your game plan and I'm cool and it, does that make a catcher's job easier or, or harder? Because the the pressure now is squarely on one guy. I used to
5: joke with Andy Pettit because he was like that. I said, you know, they fly the pitcher ahead all the time. You know, if you have a, a, a you know, you're playing a night game and you're going to get into a city of three or four in the morning, and they'll fly the pitcher out like at six o'clock the, the, that night before. So they get a good night rest. And I said, I'm doing all the thinking. What are you doing? <laughs> all you're doing is have to execute one pitch at a time. But, you know, I think some pitchers get in, in such a rapport with catchers, David Cohn didn't shake a lot, that they're comfortable and they would rather just focus on that one pitch. And personally, if you have a catcher that does a really good job with, with the fingers, I almost sometimes think that that's better because they can just focus on the pitch at hand.
2: You are a great defensive catcher in your day. Uh, obviously, uh, that was considered one of your strengths and certainly game calling, which led to your managerial career in part, I'm sure. Um, the, the, tell us how the game has evolved and it, from the catching standpoint. It didn't. I didn't recall, uh, I think you came up uh, in the late 80s when you first came you up. You got it. Uh, okay, sorry, but that's okay. You're younger than I am, so I can say that. Uh, I don't recall that framing, was, was that something that was on anybody's radar? And uh, how has uh, the, the evaluation of catchers changed over the years? And if you could name one or two catchers that, that catch today that you really appreciate?
5: Well, it was, you know, I think it started to become prevalent in the nineties. And I, and I think, you know, the guy that I think that really became a, we started to really notice it with was Charlie O'Brien and Gary Tuck, who was the catching coach at the time of the Yankees was a huge proponent of it and a huge big teacher of it. And we practiced it all the time. And I think because it wasn't quantified, catchers didn't get the credit That they used to, you know, that they get now in a sense. That's why it's become so so much that's talked about. It was talked about, but no one quantified it. No one said, "Well, this if you steal this many pitches, it saves Mm -hmm. this many runs." And this guy is the best in the game. They didn't talk. We used to say that Charlie O'Brien was the best in the game because we could just watch it with our eyes, and he was really good. He had a great staff to do with it. So. I think it's really important, but one of the things that disturbs me with it is I think catchers have gotten so caught up in it and getting the low pitch, the low pitch is always the toughest one to get, that a lot of times they put themselves in a bad situation to block balls, and I see more balls go to the screen, and I see a lot of balls go between catchers' legs that should be caught because... They get locked up because they're trying to get so low, and they don't block it. And that's the troubling part for me.
4: Joe Girardi, great information as always. And even if you hadn't been a Northwestern guy, we would still really appreciate you very much. (laughs) But thanks so much for the insight and the wisdom, and uh, go have yourself a great day. Appreciate you. You too. Bye-bye. That is Joe Girardi. This is Big Time Baseball. It's presented by Radio.com Sports. Coming up, we've got a treat for you talk about a guy who was, uh, well, not at all a catcher. Uh, He was an outfielder. Pretty good one, but his dad was one of the all-time greats. And we'll get into that with Tony Gwynn Jr. in just a moment. He
0: was an eight-year major leaguer carrying on the legacy of the late Tony Gwynn, a baseball Hall of Famer.
2: Here comes Gwynn, digging for the plate, trying to score, the relay throw, he is safe! And inside the park, grand slam home run.
0: Now he's a Padres radio broadcaster and analyst for Fox Sports San Diego. It's Tony Gwynn Jr. on Big Time Baseball.
4: Radio.com Sports presenting Big Time Baseball. It's brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class with John Heyman, Josh Lewin. We're talking NL West. We're talking a whole lot of juniors here. Tony Gwynn Jr. joins us right now. Of course, the son of the the late Hall of Famer, Tony Gwynn Sr. Tony Gwynn Jr., eight-year major leaguer himself, now a Padres broadcaster, talk show host, a lot of cool stuff. But uh, as we're talking about the Padres and talking about, uh, well, we've already done Vladimir Guerrero, Jr., so we might as well go right to you, T, for Fernando Tatis, Jr. There was a scare Mm -hmm. in the game that he had on a Sunday in D.C. He stretched out like a wishbone at second base. It didn't look good, but I I guess uh, there was a huge sigh of relief being heaved by everybody now. looks like he's going to be okay.
3: What last I heard was that it was a strained hamstring, uh, which – Under the circumstances, if you were watching it live like I was, uh, that is uh, probably the the smallest injury he could have had. So uh, I think that's where kind of the optimism comes from, and and rightfully so. Fernando has been nothing short of electric for this Padres team, offensively, defensively. Uh, He's carried himself like he's been here for a few years, and it's been fun to watch.
2: Hey, Tony, uh, John Heyman here. I've got a lot of questions about the Padres as well. Obviously, a very exciting young team this year. Had the big signing with Machado, a Tatis Jr., a junior like yourself, as Josh said. uh, Quite a a great all-around player. But, you know, I wanted to ask you about what it was like being a Tony Gwynn Jr. since we have you here. uh, Obviously, your father, not only a Hall of Famer, and all-time great with a 338 batting average do you, do you think that it opened doors for you or do you think that it was uh, difficult uh, with the expectations so high you obviously had a uh, you're a great athlete uh, t- uh, terrific only 20,000 people have played in the major leagues you had a, a nice long career But uh, obviously, there's only one Tony Gwynn. How it was for you, and you've named your son Tony Gwynn III, right? So I guess, uh, by and large, you you thought it was pretty good being Tony Gwynn Jr. I had a good experience. I think, to answer
3: the first part of that question, did it open doors for me? Yes, it did. It, It at least caught eyes. But as you said, because of that same background, the expectation was probably higher than most. So I had to kind of make my own way and I think the most difficult part, I think, is separate because we have the same name, is separating the name from the individuals. And once I was able to kind of establish that, you know, in high school and college, I think scouts saw that and and were able to evaluate me differently because I was able to distinguish the individual uh, from the name for them. And so, yes, it opened doors, but it certainly made things probably more difficult um but the 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 beauty of it is if you're able to get to that level you're 100 percent prepared for i mean i grew up in a locker room uh learned from just watching nobody had to really say anything i, I paid attention a lot and by the time i got to the big big league the only thing that was nerve-wracking was actually getting in the box in a big league game but the stuff you know, prior to that was easy for me. I, I just I treated it like I did when I was younger. So, uh, from that standpoint, it, it was it was very helpful.
4: Tony Gwynn Jr. joining us, and I know you've heard this a ton of times, Tony, but it's eerie. I mean, John, isn't it? I mean, the same cadence, the same voice, the mm-hmm. same laugh. You know, I mean, you're just listening. <laughs> yeah. and it, it's so I apparent that this it. is right. But you know, <laughs> but the other thing that that I can appreciate, Tony, that that you know about you from the little bit that I've gotten to know you and. and It looks like this is kind of central to the Padres' success now here in 2019 and going forward, too. One thing that your dad, I think, passed down to you is he was never satisfied, right? I mean, he finished one season hitting 370, and he knew he should have hit 371. And it, it just seems like that's the kind of team the Padres have put together, too. It's not just about collecting a bunch of potential, a lot of talent. It's, okay, what are we doing with it, and how can we get it even better tomorrow?
3: Yeah, I, I think uh, that is something that AJ Preller, his staff, have really harped on, and, and we've heard it a lot here in San Diego for the last three years. And that—that's the word makeup. And uh, it's one thing to get a bunch of dudes with talent. And to be honest, you know, if you make it to this level, you have the talent. It's just those that um, aren't willing to settle. They're—they're they're willing. They want more and the Padres have put together a a collective group of young guys that all have that mindset whether it's Chris Paddock you know whether it's uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. whether it's Francisco Mejia you know I can name you the list will really go on and on and they all have that same makeup this moment reason why they're thriving because it's not too big for them in their mind they should be here and they're going to want more and more as they go further along in their career.
2: Hey, Tony, uh, the the Padres' prospects uh, by the end of last year were ranked uh, the highest in baseball, even above the Braves and the White Sox. So I guess I shouldn't be shocked uh, that they're performing well. But uh, some of them have surprised me a little bit. I mean, obviously, we know Tatis Jr. uh, has the makings of a superstar. But uh, Paddock has been fantastic. I know he came on last year and started to make a name for himself. Uh, But... Uh, Mark Gavages, and I'm not sure if I got that name right. It's not easy. What are your impressions of, of all three of these rookies? Uh, uh, Tatis, Paddock, and the other fellow whose name I'm sure you can pronounce better than I can.
3: <laughs> yeah, Mark Gavages. Mark uh,
2: very good. It,
3: it, it's, it's funny you said that because you're right, John. Paddock, you started to hear his name even up here at the big league level, started to hear it like June, July of last year, like this kid's starting to come on. And by the time we got to spring training, and I got the chance to sit out with him for the first time, I just walked away feeling like this is just something different. Him and Fernando Tatis Jr. are just something different than the city has ever seen from a young player. Like some people might receive it as cockiness, I look at it as as confidence. Like when when you have that first conversation with Chris Paddock, you walk away feeling like. A, he's an old soul, but B, this dude is really hungry and believes he should be where he's at. Same thing with Fernando Tatis Jr. It's more, it's in a more playful way, but you, you can't help but to see the athleticism in this kid. I mean, he might be one of the fastest players in baseball right now, and you just have to see it for yourself before you realize it. Nick Margavich is really – I hadn't heard his name at all. I mean, I know – He was always regarded as one of the top uh, control guys. He he was second in in the minor leagues in strikeouts behind Logan Allen last year. Uh, So it's not all that surprising. But when you look at the stuff, it's not, like, overly impressive. But what he does do is he commands the baseball. And he pitches with this I belong mindset, attitude. Um, They just don't come off as the type of rookies where – when you, when you put a mic in their face, they're, they're, you know, a little shy or they don't know quite, they don't quite know what to say. These guys seem like they have been born to do this. And I think that's why they've had the success. Now they're going to, they're still going to come have their lumps. I mean, this is the, this is the big leagues. It's the toughest league in the world. So it's going to happen. I've been impressed with the few times it has happened this year they bounce right back. So that, that just shows – that talks that goes into the makeup part I was talking about
4: earlier. Tony Gwynn Jr. finishing up with us here. It's Big Time Baseball presented by Radio.com Sports. And, you know, one guy who's now a veteran, Tony, that I don't hear anybody nationally talking about. I want to ask you about Kirby Yates because he's on yeah. pace for one of the great Trevor Hoffman-esque closer seasons, not just in Padres history, but in history history. I mean, he's on pace for 70 saves – and 125 strikeouts and a sub one ERA, and nobody ever talks about him. No,
3: I, and I think Kirby likes it that way. You know, he's he's a, he's a Hawaiian cat that's just really is laid back, uh, enjoys uh, just playing the game of baseball. And when, when you talk to Kirby, he'll tell you he he, he once he went through his time in in, in New York. And then a quick short stint in Anaheim, in his mind, it was just a matter of if he got another chance. Um, at that point, he was a fastball slider guy. And, you know, as he put it to me, you know, when the slider's off, it's, it's very hittable. And, and I think he started playing around with the split about two years ago. Uh, he he mixed it in. And then really all of last year, about midway through last year, he was just all fastball split and. And there's no doubt when you look at the numbers, uh, when you have when he was throwing the fastball slider, it's night and day the fastball split. And, and as he put it to me, you know when the split is bad, it still works. You know, so uh, he's just been really good locating his fastball. He's about 92 to 95, uh, but he just has a he just has the, the right mentality for this ball club and this, that back end of the, uh, of the bullpen.
4: It's all about the, as Scott Boris put it, the hot talent lava of, <laughs> of the San Diego Padres organization. But uh, <laughs> there's some other good stuff there, too, including the broadcast unit. You're part of it, and I really appreciate you, buddy. We'll see you soon. No problem, Josh. John, thanks for having me. You bet. That's a great Tony Gwynn, Jr. Always a pleasure to chat with him. John Heyman is going to empty his bucket of a whole lot of cool stuff that he's been working on. And we'll get to that in just a moment or two as we wrap things up on Big Time Baseball presented by Radio.com Sports. 2 2. Bouncer to first, and Morales will make
0: the play. Guerrero retired in his first big league at bat, and still gets a standing ovation. What are the latest rumors around the game? Josh Lewin and John Heyman go around the diamond on Radio.com Sports Big Time Baseball.
4: Radio.com Sports presenting Big Time Baseball. It's brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. I'm Josh Lewin. John Heyman is with. We're going to wrap things up here uh, and first, before we do that, John, because we've got several minutes here, we can—I mean, it's a podcast. We can go for like a million minutes if <laughs> we want to. But uh, would you agree with me now that Tony Gwynn Jr. doesn't have to like put earmuffs on because he's not on the line anymore? Isn't that crazy how much he sounds and presents himself like his dad?
2: Absolutely. And uh, you know what? His dad, a Hall of Famer as a baseball player, I think Tony Gwynn Jr. is going to be a Hall of Famer as a media person. Really fantastic.
4: He is, and it's funny because, yeah, I, I don't know about you, there's like a 100 different Tony Gwynn senior stats that I could go to that are just like, wow, he did that? That's so cool. The one that always kills me, and I don't know if you know this one or not, but the, the Padres, who have been around now 50 years, their overall team batting average is basically 250 right on the button for all those 50 years. If, if you took out Tony Gwynn's at-bats, it would sink to 247. So one guy wow. over 50 <laughs> years is responsible for that much batting average. I, I think that's incredible.
2: Well, 338 career batting average with that many at-bats uh, will do that. And not to say anything negative about Tony Gwynn Jr., uh, but uh, his career batting average is exactly 100 points lower than Tony Gwynn Sr. <laughs> I mean, obviously, 20,000 players of people have made it to the major leagues. He is an elite athlete. But uh, not easy living up to Tony Gwynn Sr., one of the Ew. great all-time players.
4: So, hey, on the topic of juniors, since that's kind of where we have this skiing down this slope right now, uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., a lot of talk about him that we've done on this podcast, and everybody's still buzzing. So can I just lob a grenade in your direction and, and put the word grievance on that uh, yes, grenade can, and ask yes. you, is it possible that <laughs> that something like that may end up happening with all of this?
2: Yeah, it's not only possible; it's likely, and I do believe that camp is planning to file a grievance. You know, there's always a controversy when these elite prospects are called up, and the question is, was their service time manipulated in any way? The the Blue Jays will tell you, well, uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr. was hurt this spring, and we called him up as soon as possible. Uh, the claim from his camp. Uh, is likely to be that he could have been up last year, and he was ready to be up last year. He did hit three eighty one last year, four thirty seven on base, six thirty six. That's a pretty good flash line, but that's a difficult case. There are obviously a lot of variables in calling somebody up, including the team's competitiveness and all sorts of things. And uh, these issues have not been worked out to anybody's satisfaction to this point in, in the general. I mean, look, look back at Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant is already in his second year of arbitration, and... Uh, There is still a grievance pending uh, on that case, and I I think it's likely we're going to see uh, several grievances, and Vlad Guerrero Jr. will be one of those.
4: As we talk about things that are actually happening for reals, as the kids like to say or used to like to say a few years ago, (laughs) uh, one thing that's not happening at all right now is Dallas Keuchel is not pitching for anybody, John. And uh, I know uh, there's a lot of conjecture about the what and the why, but certainly the when. And I want to get your take on all that, if you don't mind.
2: Yeah, I, Dallas Keuchel seems to be uh, flexible in terms of the years. Uh, he seems to be okay with a one-year deal if it's at the right number. And I, I think he was looking to kind of replicate that qualifying offer, which was 17900000 million. I'm not sure if he's talking prorated or what at this point, but uh, uh, he is, seems to be willing to do a, a one-year deal. And, and one other thing with Keuchel that I think is important right now is that there, there seems to be some consideration to waiting till after the draft. I think that draft pick compensation, even though it was lessened in the last CBA, not quite as onerous as it was before, still seems to be weighing on some teams that are interested in Keichel, and uh, may these teams may just wait until June, and Keichel may end up waiting till June. We will see. He's still got a month to go to... Try to figure it out. Maybe some team will jump in there. Some team will realize they really need a good starter, a guy who was a Cy Young winner three years ago. But it's very possible that he may wait it out, wait until after the draft, won't have that draft pick compensation tied to him anymore. And I think a number of teams will jump in at that point, and he may have his pick of the teams. And that's something that's very important to him. I do think that Keuchel wouldn't mind being on a big stage. He obviously was in a World Series. He's picked terrifically in the postseason in fact shut out uh, the yankees in a wild card game that uh, kept houston going and has an overall excellent record in the postseason i I do think that the yankees are a team that once that draft pick is gone and i'm speculating to some degree here but not completely uh the yankees are a team that would be interested in keichel if they did not have to give up that number 38 pick overall but the yankees like their picks they've done great with their picks uh, Aaron judge was picked in that same realm in the round 38, maybe a little mm-hmm. bit before, but in that same area. So they don't want to give up that pick, but once that pick goes away, I think the Yankees and several other teams will be looking at Dallas Keigel. If he does hold out till June,
4: give you one twist though, to all that, if you don't mind, because with, with the launch angle craze, turning low ball hitters into home run of hitters and pitching up in the zone. Now looks like it's become just an absolute. It, it's, Hasn't it kind of turned sinker ballers like Keichel into dinosaurs? I mean, right? Isn't, isn't that why, uh, for example, Rick Porcello is trying to make himself from this Derek Lowe kind of guy into somebody that can attack the upper part of the zone as well? It seems like that's the trend now, and Keichel is almost like last of the Mohicans. He's like a, you know, hard-headedly still a sinker ball guy in a league where you're not supposed to do that anymore. Does that work against him or is it still, hey, he's Dallas Keichel and he's got value?
2: Yeah, I'm not sure really what's been working against him because if you look at that track record, it's pretty similar to Corbin. He's a, a year at least a year older than Corbin. Corbin ended up getting was $140 million. Hard to recall that now and Keichel's yeah. still out there. Uh, looking at their ERA plus, very similar, looking at their careers, similar, other than the fact that Keichel actually has had three years with an ERA under three, something that Corbin did not have. He also has a Cy Young. He also has a uh, a very good track record in the postseason. So there's really a lot to recommend him. And uh, today's day, yes, you're right about pitching up in the zone and you're right about velocity being a big deal. And his velocity is not great, but it's No different than it was when he won that Cy Young in 2015, 89 miles an hour. So uh, the other thing that really is emphasized today is the analytics and the numbers. And if you look at the numbers, other than the velocity, look past the velocity and you look to the ERA and the ERA Plus and the whip and all that, uh, he is an awfully good pitcher. And, um, you know, I think obviously the qualifying offer is a factor. Maybe it was the asking price. I don't know. We don't don't know exactly what the asking price was. But, uh, you know, he does not have a real big injury history like any other pitcher. He's had a couple of nicks and bruises, but uh, last year led the league in starts through about 200 innings, as always. And uh, it's really a little bit of a mystery as to why he's still out here. But, uh, you know, you may be onto something there.
4: Well, I like leaving it as a mystery. I like, you know, it's kind of like a tune-in next time kind of thing since we're at the end of the podcast. Let's end with a great big question mark, and we'll let Dallas Keuchel kind of represent that. But, John, is always a pleasure, my friend. I want to thank Joe Girardi for stopping on the show and Tony Gwynn Jr., too. Uh, Next week, I have no idea yet what we'll be talking about, but we'll come up with something, (laughs) and uh, we'll, we'll make it happen then. Thank you, buddy.
2: All right. Sounds good, Josh.
4: All right. Fantastic. John Heyman. I'm Josh Lewin. This has been Big Time Baseball. It's presented by Radio.com Sports. Tell your friends. We'll be here again for you. Peace. See you soon.
0: Thanks for listening to Radio.com Sports Big Time Baseball. Brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. Josh Lewin and John Heyman will be back next week, diving into the latest across Major League Baseball. See you! This has been a presentation of Radio.com Sports. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road.